Hey, I'm Jess Binneth. And I'm Kate Montague. And you're listening to the Audiocraft Podcast, a series of recordings from our 2017 conference. This episode is called Show Me The Money, and it's kind of like a survival guide to freelance work. You know, all those nosy questions like, how do you come up with good ideas and how much should you quote? Is it okay to negotiate? Well, this episode covers all of that plus some. Moderating the panel is Honor Eastley, who's an artist and producer of the podcast Being Honest With My Ex and Starving Artist. Joining her are superstar freelancers Miles Martignoni and Hannah Reish and Megan Tan, the producer of Radiotopia's Millennial Podcast. This one's all about the hustle. And to kick off the session, Honor asked the audience one very important question. Who wants to make some money? <laughs> hey, that's right. Oh, my God. Not enough hands, guys. Where are all the hands? Oh, my God. What are you doing? Okay. So just to introduce, like, the, the practical stuff, we had a little introduction of where everyone's at. So Miles is like, part-time in-house at The Guardian and then part-time freelancing and then also um, has a media company, this startup called um, Heaps Good Media. Hannah works part-time. Do you want to say where you work? I'm like a really big fan of day job transparency. Anyway, you, you work at a job. I have a job. <laughs> you have a job. And you also um, work as a freelance producer. Um, and I work on Starving Artists. I also do another podcast. I have a day job where I work in mental health. And I'm a consultant. And I do research and evaluation on system design. Blah, blah, blah. And... Um, and I do those things, and I do podcasts freelance independently. Megan, you work full time on Millennial. I didn't always, though. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that. Yes, yes. You've got the shortest one, though. It's just so neat. Full time on Millennial. So before we start getting into the nitty gritty of stuff, I just want to set the scene of what's out there now. Like what is happening in podcasting, particularly in Australia, and a little bit of what's happening overseas and I wanted to point to Miles can you give us a rundown like what what what's the scene what's happening in the well, big system wide approach yeah look I'd say we if it's great to look at America because they are ahead of us you know they've got a bigger market more people listen to podcasts more people are making podcasts there we're probably at least three years behind them you know you're seeing you know until recently the only place that was really making podcasts other than some commercial radio shows that have packaged up was the ABC and even them, it's taken them several years to turn their in-house ship towards making more digital-first podcast content. And now, in the past two years, you've seen Mamma Mia jump on board doing all these conversation-type podcasts. And they're the first real commercial operator that is pushed out and is actually making money, theoretically. I mean, they don't really tell you, but they say they're successful. So... <laughs> so... They're the first big commercial thing. And then you're starting to see more people interested in making podcasts. Um, you know, like I said, I'm working for the Cancer Council making a podcast now. The WWF wanted to make one. Like, there are other organizations doing that. But you still meet people who don't know what a podcast is. And you still have to explain to companies why it might be a good idea in that space. While in America, it might be a bit of an easier sell. There's more stuff happening there at the moment. What do you think, Megan? I definitely think that there is a lot of branded content that people are doing. So branded meaning like big brands all of a sudden want podcasts. Uh, there was someone who recently approached me like a company and they wanted branded content. And so I think in America, a lot of commercial companies are, are definitely looking to make podcasts. 
in um you were saying you so we did a big google doc before we did this session to like hash out some ideas and you were saying miles that um there's a definitely a need for for more great producers mm. because there's now like more big media companies who are wanting to make these kinds of podcasts and that some of them aren't very good it's hard to find good producers i think like it it might be a small industry at the moment but it means there's less there's not a lot of good producers they because i think until recently if you wanted to make good audio you either worked in commercial radio or the abc there was no other outlet for you really you were either freelancing or you were getting a full-time job or you were giving up on your dream and doing something else <laughs> <laughs> someone tweet that oh my yeah. god and Hannah, you were saying that there's, there's some, actually really, there's all the big places, but there's some unexpected places that are doing podcasts. Like you were saying that someone you know works on a one for first year med students? Yeah, there's, there's um, amazing smaller podcasts that are, have like a really niche audience. And so I think people focusing on what are, they, what are they uniquely placed to tell and why would that podcast find an audience? And it's okay, you don't need to create this, this podcast that everyone's going to listen to. And they've been surprisingly successful because they can get um, advertisers who are very interested in that, in that really niche first year medical students audience. And these aren't just niche things. Like the Australian audio, you don't know everyone. I talked to a few people this week. They didn't even know what AudioCraft was. What? I educated them. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's two primary school teachers in Melbourne. They've uh, quit their day jobs. Their podcast is probably one of the most successful in Australia. It gets 350,000 downloads per episode. It's just about science fiction and comic book movies. <laughs> there's uh, like a conspiracy theory podcast. I think it's made out of North Sydney that, you know, they pay a producer to help them make that. Like these projects exist. And every few weeks I find out about something new that's happening, some project that someone didn't know about. Like these projects are out there. It's just that we're not all connecting together yet. Yeah, there's lots of stuff happening. I think that podcasting is kind of mysterious, particularly you don't see people's faces a lot of the time and you're like, who's doing what? Um, so we're going to move on to talk a little bit about pitching. Hannah, you're kind of our resident pitching expert. Where, like, if you're freelance and you want to pitch places, say you're doing radio documentaries, where, where should I go? There's, there's a lot of options out there. So I have a lot more experience pitching to RN, but um, there is obviously a, a lot of overseas podcasts that have open pitches that you can be sending in. And including Millennial. Including Just Millennial, saying. yeah. <laughs> it's actually relatively easy to send a cold pitch in, um, but it's just about how you're going to write that pitch to get their attention because they obviously have a lot of stuff coming in. Yeah, so what are your tips in terms of, like, what, what should we be doing? If I want to write a pitch, like, what should I be thinking about? Well, I think you have to firstly realise that the pitch is going to take time. That's just something you have to accept, um, which is frustrating because you can spend all this time working on a pitch and then it not get commissioned and you're like, ah, show me the money. <laughs> um, I, d I, just, I just recently saw an article that was about... Um, a, grant proposals in science, Australian science, and one of the big grant rounds, someone did research on the grant proposal process and they found that 80% of the grants don't get through, right? They don't get anything. And so of that, that equates to one person working for over 400 years of work that's just not used, Yeah. which is... Oh, sorry, that's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I was going <laughs> to say, I mean, I think the key is that once you get rejected, you have to use that work to pitch somewhere else. You just got to pitch, 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 and not just take that as, oh, this story isn't good. Um, obviously, sometimes your pitch wasn't great, and you can learn something from that. I think the, the biggest tips that I've got through pitching is to be writing yourself into the pitch. They want a sense of, like, a unique voice, a unique style. Um, why should they 
commission you. Like, obviously, you firstly need a great story that you're selling, but the way that you sell it is through really injecting a sense of self through it. You know, it's such an intimate, personal medium, so that's what we're looking for, those kind of, or they're looking for those kind of stories. And another tip for pitching is that I always get peers to look at my pitches, even when I'm competing against them. Like, I know we're both putting in for the same round, but I believe in their work and they believe in my work, and, and that's about creating these beautiful peer-to-peer -peer relationships where we're all trying to build each other up and help each other. Um, and I'm also lucky that I have a mentor who can sort of guide me and has a lot more experience. Um, so that's get, get yourself a mentor. Hot tip. And in terms of when you're pitching to particular places, how much do you research about that place before you... You go there. Like, do you speak to the executive producer? Yeah, that's, it's a really good idea. So obviously listen to a lot of their recent episodes to get a sense of um, the tone and what kind of stories they've already covered and the direction. And there's, al there's always a lot of information on the websites about what kind of stories they're looking for. But taking that extra step to pick up the phone and speak to the EP and form a connection always pays off. And I think millennials, we, we love to get on, on the emails, but sometimes it's good to get on the blower. <laughs> get on the blower. I I spent, I just put in an Australia Council grant application and I spent like an hour, I think, on the phone. And it's actually just really nice. And like you understand like what they actually want from, from a proposal. Yeah, and they're going to remember you. You're not just another name in their email inbox. inbox. They're like, oh, that's Anna. We had a great conversation. <laughs> she was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, Megan, you're on the other end receiving pitches. Like, so what do you notice stands out when you're getting them? I think millennial, like you're saying, Hannah, about like what are the things that like we definitely have a check a checklist of like all the stories that we're looking for, right? So there has to be like a conflict, a central character. Um, it has to relate to you guys know this now, like millennial Megan in some sort of way, right? And there has to be some sort of change that happens. And so when we don't, when we're receiving pitches and they don't meet that kind of criteria, then we can't say yes to those. Um, and you guys, you make it really easy on, on your website. It has like, if you, here, send us pitches and these are the seven things you should be telling us in your pitch. Like, here's how to answer all the questions. That's because when we're pitching in-house, like that, those, that's the criteria that we want to fill out in order for it to become like, oh, a millennial episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you do this, Megan, but I'll, often with these pitches, it can, it can be a negotiation. It can be a back and forth. So you send something through and they're like, oh, okay, you're doing this, this, but what about this? And so it's not just, yeah, it is actually quite a negotiation to get to that story. And if you've got a good story, like if they can see something in there, they're going to help you get there. Yeah. Which is pretty an amazing opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Miles, before we move on, do you have anything else to say on pitching? Uh, just know your shit before you pitch something. Um, I mean, I don't do a lot of external pitching, but when I'm pitching, like I work at The Guardian, I've got to go to Lenore Taylor and tell her we should make this podcast idea. Lenore is going to ask me questions until she gets to the point where she doesn't, she's figured out everything she knows about it and what I don't know about it. And at that point, you panic and you worry, and you have to be able to either say, oh, I'm going to go and find that out or have the answer. Mm. And when you have that answer is when she's like, great idea, let's do it. So know your stuff before you pitch as well. Think about what questions they would ask you about mm. your story. Mm. And they're usually the ones you don't feel comfortable answering. I think it's always good to, I don't know, I definitely do what Hannah does and I get people to read over stuff when I'm doing any kind of pitching and I want to convince myself. Mm. So I think that's a really great point of like writing yourself, writing in your own voice. Like when I'm writing stuff, you know, I think there's this idea that you should put on a pitch voice, but I think writing it in your own way 
Um, and convincing yourself is, is, is like, oh, yeah, actually, I'd support this girl. She sounds like she's doing good stuff. <laughs> so we're going to talk about negotiating rates. How much do y'all get paid? No, I'm just joking. So, um, <laughs> uh, Miles, you were talking about, like, how did you figure out what your first rate was and what was it and what Someone is it? Someone told me to what to charge. Um, <laughs> he was like, you should charge $50 an hour to start off with. Mm. Um, so rates are really tough to think about and thinking about how much you can charge for a project. Some people just want to know a project. Um, and so essentially I started on that and then I started to figure out everything I pitched. So how long will it take me to do this? How many hours will it take? And I used that $50 an hour figure to kind of figure out what the broad pitch was. Then someone, I was busy and someone asked me for work and I was like, oh, I'm $70 an hour. And then they- Wait on, wait on, wait on. How were you like, oh, now I'm worth more? Well, because I was busy and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I could charge more and I don't really mind if I don't get the work, so I'm going to charge more. So I charged $70 an hour and then I thought I didn't get that job. Uh, and then three weeks later, they called me, they're in this room now, and said, hey, can you record something next week? Um, so then I was like, damn it, I should have charged them more. <laughs> because that's kind of my philosophy now. If the person does not say to you, oh, that's too much, you have not pitched enough. Um, you, they should be negotiating with you. That's when you know you've hit what you're worth and what they are prepared to pay. Yeah, that's actually a really great point. And does anyone know that phrase, don't say no without a number? Like, as in, even if you're like, no, I can't do that, you want to let people know how much, like how much your time is worth. I don't know, I talk about arts and money, and in arts money, I don't know if people are more like this, but like often people are working for like, like getting us to do a lot of work for no money. I think that happens in every industry. And often people feel, particularly in the arts, that like, oh, I can't ask for money. Gross. Ugh. But like, if you're not even saying I'm worth money, then you're saying my, my time isn't worth anything. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing to kind of get around. Also, then people know how much you're worth. So that then if, you, if they have something, something else going on, they can go, oh, that person, I know how much they're, like, I know how much they charge. And maybe they'll come back and you're like, oh, actually, my rate has changed. Um, <laughs> I'm quite a bit more expensive now. I think if you can articulate where people's money is mm. going, though, mm. right? So mm. if you're able to say, we have, like, a creative fee, right, for generating ideas that cost this much. Or even if you're able to, if you're able to do a project, and I use Toggle a lot. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, where you time yourself. And so you essentially can time, like, how much does it take to write up a pitch? How much does it take to interview, pre-interview that person? And then you can break it down, like, okay, it's going to take this much time for production. When you pay me such and such, like, that's what you're getting. Yeah. And then if they don't have the budget for that, you can say, well, that's great, but we can take out this part yeah. of of the process, right? So, okay, you don't have that much. Well, we, I, I don't have to do the final mix because that takes, you know, six hours or something like that. The last job I had, I actually broke down different rates for different tasks. So consulting and editing and mixing and, you know, heavy audio production, I kind of broke down the mental effort and stress you put into it. And so I put the ones that were harder at a higher rate 
and I gave the client a list of each item, not how many hours I was spending on them, but how much each item would cost mm -hmm. as part of the whole kind of package so they could get an understanding of what I was doing, but not a direct insight on exactly how many hours I said I would be spending on each thing. And I think that's a really good point that often in these roles, particularly if we're working with people who don't know how podcasting works, we're actually educating the client or whoever we're working with in terms of how we work. So having those, those resources like this is what happens, this is what goes into it, um, is really, really useful. Because I've seen it in a few different places where people actually don't know what goes into making a podcast. They're like, yeah, just do it. You're mm. under 30, you get it. Um, <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> I also think that talking to stations, right, and asking them, like a lot of times people will say, we want a podcast that sounds like Invisibilia. And you're like, well, when I called them up, it actually takes $700,000, a three-person team, three months to prepare, you know, for each, like, to be able to articulate the work that people are doing at stations yeah. um, in order to explain to people, hey, it's not just easy. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've done my research and I can back up why I want to charge this much. Yeah, mm. you want to definitely do your research on that stuff. Mm. I mean, I, I like to talk to other people making radio and just, yeah, compare rates and try to have an open conversation. And it is something I'm hoping AudioCraft um, are going to be helping me with because I, don't, I think I'm still learning to value myself. And I'm so, I'm relatively early on in my career and I've, I have done a bit of that work unpaid that we were talking about before. I mean, I made the decision that I cared more about what the content was and the, I was learning so much from the process that, you know, obviously money does not always equal value. And so, um, but that being said, obviously I don't want to encourage any of the sort of internal economy where we're exploiting people. But yeah, take a cold hard look at what you actually want to be getting out of a project and think about all the different ways that you can get value from it. Oh yeah, for sure. Because sometimes, it, yeah, I think it's just good to be strategic about what you're after. Like I know that mm. when I made Starving Artist, I was like, this could work, it could not work. I spent money to be able to make that, mm. which is kind of ironic. Um, but, but in the process of doing it, then you're like, oh, actually now I have some options to do this or this, or people know that I did this thing, I could do more work over here. So it depends about like, if you're investing, if you're like, actually, I'm at this point and now I need money to do X, Y, Z. Um, but it's good to be strategic and know kind of where you're at and what you're working towards. Mm. So we're going to talk a bit about advertising. Woo! Brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> um, and really, we're going to talk about this with Megan. And I wanted to introduce, can, can I, okay, can we just show your sponsorship page? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I think that I think that would be the most useful. So, who here is like, I want to know how to get sponsorships for my podcast? Okay, enough people to make this worthwhile. <laughs> well, hold on. Let's let me okay. also preface that in Millennial Season One, I just assumed that podcasts had sponsors. Like, I just assumed that if you were a podcast, you had sponsors. So, we in the first episode, there was like a joke where at the end I just said, and this is brought to you by, no, no one was a sponsor. And I was like, if you would like to be a sponsor, you can da -da 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 -da, talk to me here. And I think more podcasts are just asking, 
you know, if you want to be a sponsor. So I, I would recommend that as well, just upfront. Well, yeah, in my experience, because I got a small sponsorship deal for the first um, season of Starving Artists. I just asked my friends on Facebook, does anyone know people who work at these places? And so one of my friends was like, yes, I know this person who works here. And then I was like, can you introduce me? And so then a few months later, great, we have, we're doing a thing together. Awesome. But like, there's yeah, there's different there's different ways of asking, of course. Cool. That makes sense. Um, so, one of the things that happened was because of that ask, a lot of uh, not a lot, but like I received some emails where people were like, "Oh, we hear millennials looking for sponsorship. Uh, we'd like to be a sponsor." And I'm like, "I don't know how to deal with any of this." Great. <laughs> so one of the things that I said in the email was, uh, you know. Uh, uh, we're putting together this sponsorship package. Uh, I'll get back to you, which was essentially just to like buy myself some time <laughs> to like get my shit together. <laughs> so, but I did end up putting together a sponsorship package, and this is what it looks like. So this is hosted on your website, but it's private. Yeah. Um, so this is this was where sponsors could go, and this is essentially like, okay, who's the host? Millennials, a podcast. Uh, like who, and who the audience is going to be. We ended up doing this uh, video for the podcast to also show like who our listeners are, right? Because sponsors, what they're looking for is like who is your audience, who is your niche audience, which is why I think the medical, Hannah, which yeah. you were talking about earlier, like you, if you have a committed niche audience, sponsors uh, are, they, they're attracted to that. So... Um, this is, these are just some like stats of, of the, the general landscape of people who are listening to podcasts. Um, and then this is like our audience and how it's grown over time. This was in 2015. So I started making millennial and releasing episodes in January. And just to let you guys know, like it just it still takes time like every single uh, podcast that you do it takes time to grow an audience even when you're working at a big radio station like I was working at a, a more of a network station and they released a podcast and they immediately were like where is our audience oh, and it just takes cool. time yeah it just takes so so know that too and it takes time so, so wait on in this graph because you started getting sponsorship in 2015 yeah when in 2015 uh in like june oh yeah. wow okay. yeah so it was like five months in you know yeah. to making the podcast uh and so then once we started getting downloads then you i just charted them um and then we just moved up but you say there. you worked with someone who who knew heaps about social media stats or something yeah, yeah yeah so I had another person reach out to me because of millennial and that was what she did she she worked with social media and basically the really great thing with social media I don't know if it's on here um but you can see oh yeah you can see who your audience is and age and where they yeah, are yeah yeah so google analytics uh on twitter if you get you know past like a thousand people who are following you on facebook the same thing there is a back end where you can all of a sudden see 
who are the people who are who's who are liking you, who are tweeting at you. It's quite creepy actually. It is it. super creepy, but it's also fascinating. And you can take all of those numbers and put it into one place and essentially pitch to your sponsors like, hey, I know my audience. This is what they're doing. This is who they are. Uh, and, and you can kind of create this spreadsheet so people know exactly who it is you're reaching. And then you can, you know, target the brands or the people. Yeah, you can go, oh, my audience is 89% women. Wow, I didn't know that. They're usually aged between 25 and 34. Oh, yeah. Who would be interested in that? Me undies. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you can contact your Beats. network. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Con- Dre. <laughs> contact your network uh, and, and pitch to them. Like, why should they invest in you? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this was just something that we put together. Um, and also any kind of like positive feedback that you get, reviews from listeners. Uh, and this stuff is great, which is what uh, particularly people who haven't like – companies that haven't done um podcast sponsorship before who won't know what are the advantages of podcast sponsorship but you know you've got information there about you know uh podcast sponsorship generally works better than other forms of sponsorship that kind of stuff and that's just by doing research on the whole landscape of of podcasting being able to get on the phone and convince people why why they should invest in you and your podcast specifically. And you work on a cost per thousand. So often a lot of podcasts will work on cost per thousand downloads. And the rate, like the rate is like $35 US around that, something like that. I, yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, if it's different for everyone. I mean, yeah, NPR charges a lot less. Gimlet charges a lot more. People kind of fit in between. Well, Gimlet do very specific types of ads, notoriously. Well, as in like... In- I have no idea what Gimlet is doing. Oh, <laughs> oh I just mean like they, they, they kind of started doing more docu-ads kind of things. Sure. Which take a lot more time, so right. are more engaging and then would be worth more money than a, than a script read kind right. of thing. Which I think you could uh, leverage... Yeah, that was some that was something that I was considering leveraging for a while when I hadn't joined Radiotopia is like, oh, if you guys you create a rate sheet, if you guys want me to create more of a personal docu like a documentary ad, it's going to cost this much more because the production is looks like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it works for Gimlet. They, when they first ran their first listener survey, they had 20,000 responses and it was all public online. And they got all these things saying, oh, I would, I would listen to a Gimlet ad more so than another podcast ad. And they still get tweeted about, oh, I missed the ad, so I rewound the podcast. <laughs> so they, their sponsors would love that stuff and eat it up. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of thing that you can also then tell potential sponsors and, mm. and and then you can charge more so yeah Gimlet probably don't charge 35 per thousand they probably charge significantly more than that you you can also charge um per episode though yeah like that's another thing is like a flat fee right so i think you can do by you can do by your impressions your audience yeah. number um but then if you don't have a big enough audience but maybe you have a really specific niche of people who are really engaged with you then you can say it's going to cost, you know, $1,500. And also people can, people can negotiate back with you, back and forth. I mean, I know I did a sponsorship deal with Starving Artists before I launched anything. I had no numbers to go on. Mm. I just made something up. 
Um, <laughs> what did that conversation look like, though? Like, how did you convince them when you didn't have an audience? I'm very charming. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I went and met with them, and I think part of this thing, and, and you've said it before, part of the sponsorship thing is about building relationships. So I went and I, the first thing I did when I met with them in person was I said, why are you interested in this and what is, what, what is this company trying to do? Mm. And so then they could tell me, actually, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're interested in specifically doing. And then I could be like, oh, okay, so here's what I think that I could do and how we could do that. And then part of it was I didn't have any downloads because I hadn't launched anything. They didn't want to, to, it to be variable like on CPM, so I just named a number. And so, yeah, so you did a flat fee. I just did a flat fee, but part of it was I was also, that, that wasn't like a big sponsorship deal or anything like that. I wanted experience in doing sponsorship. That was, so I was not interested really in money at that point. I was just like, actually, I, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> how do I work out how to do this? I'll have a go at it. Did you promise them a certain number of episodes? Yeah. But okay. not downloads. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Smart. And they hadn't done podcast sponsorship before. Yeah. Anyway. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I just want to say on funding is that um, if you're looking towards grant bodies, I don't know, it, there's stuff out there, like I've recently applied for like City of Melbourne grant, Australia Council grant, tomo AMP's Tomorrow Fund. Like, they're things that you can apply to. The thing is to remember, and because I've gotten on the blower with these places, and I've been like, how do I do this? Have you funded podcasts before? Tell me everything. Um, a lot of them haven't really funded podcasts before because it's quite new, or they've gotten a lot of pitches for podcasts that from, from people who haven't made podcasts before and don't have a track record. So if you're approaching places like that, you want to you wanna prove to them why you're good, but also why the format works. Like, you have to really kind of explain what you're doing in the process. Okay, so admin, what is your top tips for admin? Like, work for, for in terms of admin and managing your workflow. Get, get an accountant that will be useful. You know if you are a freelancer and someone is paying you to make audio, they should be paying you super. It's illegal for them not to do that. That's what my accountant told me. So you should really look into that because apparently the tax department is going to come down hard on people eventually so mm -hmm. they should be paying you super but what will probably happen is they'll give you super inclusive rates so you don't really win in the end um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, get an app to keep track of all your expenses like Expensify or Zero. if you're using an accounting package you can you can deduct 75% of freaking Spotify Netflix any entertainment books music from your taxes if you are earning money making creative work and there's this great thing called income averaging ask your yes. accountant that special, can really help with your finances. Special professions income averaging. I learned about that because I did an episode of Starving Artist about um, tax. And look, look I learned a up. lot. <laughs> um, I guess this is admin, but like I, a huge thing that has helped me is renting a studio space, having an office to go to. And it was a big risk because I was like, oh no, this is going to cost me, like I already pay a lot in rent, it's Melbourne. Um, but I think once I put that money down, I began to take myself seriously as a creator. And I went to work every day and I took my hours seriously. So creating a space that you can work in, don't just work from home or work from the library, carve that space out, take yourself seriously. 
And it's tax deductible. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's tax deductible. That's true. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> Megan. Uh, I already mentioned toggle. Just trying to figure out, like, how long does it actually take for you to make things, I think, is really helpful, especially as you start maybe working with other people or delegating. Then you can figure out, okay, how much does production take? I That person can do production. What is it that I actually need to be doing? What is it that other people can be doing? And looking at what where you're putting your energy and whether it's worth it. Hmm. I don't know. Some, yeah. Anyway, sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't do that aspect of... Anyway, <laughs> I spent a long time looking at transcripts. Um, uh, the couple of things that I'd mention is there's a really great book. It's called Making Your Life as an Artist. It's um, by Andrew Simonet. He's American. He does, uh, uh, he, he's from an organization called Artists U, which is about trying to encourage uh, artists or, or giving p- artists the tools to make sustainable lives. And it's a really, really great resource, and you can get it for free online as a PDF. Um, there's another thing called Money Brilliant, which is an app. What it does is it syncs with your um, bank accounts, and it can go through and look at your whole last year of spending and use the like metadata tracking on it and categorize it already for you. So you can be like, wow, I spent way too much money on takeout. Um, it's, ter- <laughs> it's terrifying. And the, the one thing I will say is that, that that is free, but what they do is they anonymize and sell your data to like, make mm. stuff. Anyway, that's not, that's not necessarily not a bad thing. Anyway, it's a thing. Um, and the other thing that's great, I think, in terms of financial literacy is there's a book called The Barefoot Investor, which is by an Australian guy, Scott Pape. Um, he's a dude. Uh, he's an interesting dude, um, but it's it's like very very it's very geared for um, mainstream Australia, but it's like very accessible, um, good information. There you'll find information about what is compound interest. Who knows, really? Um, yeah, cool. And I, I think we should go to questions. But does anyone want to? I know I said we talk about community, but if anyone has a particular question about that, just meet with people. Just go and meet that's, with people. Don't sit alone. Yeah, conferences. I, I just email producers out of the blue that I've never heard of and who I don't know and go and meet with them. Like, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? You don't have that meeting you weren't going to have anyway. <laughs> I, w- I would say I, I spent, like, about three years ago, I was like, shit, I need some friends. Um, and I really active. Seriously, I really actively went out and, and found people that I connected with. And that's one thing I'd stress is like, I used to get really anxious about networking. But actually, if, if I'm thinking about it just in terms of, I'm just trying to find people that I connect with. And then I'm like, actually, I'd love to work with you. Or like, I connect with you well. And you just don't know where you'll find that. That could be anywhere. Um, but now, like most of my friends I met on the internet, my boyfriend, he emailed me. Like, out of the blue. Like, so all of my great friends are now just, like, people I met on. I want to plug Community Radio. Community Radio is yeah. so beautiful. It's just, you meet so many amazing people, and I come from Community Radio, and I couldn't be more appreciative of the friends that I've made through Community Radio. So get yeah. involved. Okay, we're going to have to do questions. And there's one, per- there's two, I can see two people. I'm interested in um, the relationship between uh, individual sponsors, I guess, and then distribution channels, like you're part of Radiotopia. How, um, how does that work in terms of money and sponsorship once you've already made the podcast and you're selling the podcast around? How does the money relationship work there? So Millennial is still distributed online like and through PRX. So any 
radio station can go onto PRX and choose millennial episodes, but it's not distributed through like to other stations, right? So with Radiotopia, they have their own sales team and they take care of advertising. Mm -hmm. So in the very beginning when I was pitching to sponsors and talking to brands myself and being able to convince them and showing them this whole list, they now take care of that. Which is, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, There's also an interesting thing that I saw recently called Megaphone, which I think Gimlet mm. use, and it's only on, it's only a select couple of networks, but they do all the auto, I don't know, it looks like... It's just a platform for uh, serving audio, but it has a lot more analytics and does all the ad injection that everyone else is doing. And there are different distributors. Um, I know Acast is here and they also have like a, a different kind of branding and and work with advertising uh with podcasts in a different way but so you, yeah you need to get like 10 50 000 downloads per episode before any of those people usually will want to talk to you or explain that you have like a very niche audience yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah totally um stories of editorial compromise you know the he who pays the piper calls yeah. the tune so actual intervention from sponsors or perhaps like a self-censoring that might go on with the sponsors' sensibilities and preferences in mind. Do you have something you want to say about that? We don't have any... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't have any it's, um, It's only happened control. to me with blended content. So when you're making a show for a company or something, even if they're like a uh, like an NGO or something, they might have an image that they want to project or a reason to have that series. And so you might have some tape that you're like, oh, this is really good tape. But they're like, oh, that's a bit scary and it'll make people really depressed and we should get them this information. It's really important. So sometimes you have to think about the aims of what you're making the show for. Mm-hmm. The, but, other th- yeah. the other thing I would say is that once I started thinking about sponsorship, I got really anxious about what I was doing. And I was like, shit, I've just recorded like 12 interviews. I swear a lot in them. Is that a problem? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, and one thing that I realized through that process of being like, fuck, maybe no, I'm not commercial at all, (laughs) is that actually, uh, you know, like, authenticity is valuable, as in people making content that is authentic is engaging, and that's actually often what sponsors want, which, you know, there's complicated relationships in there, Um, there's definitely some, like, weird stuff that goes on with making anything um, creative that you're trying to get to an audience. Um, but I, I was really surprised by that when I was like, oh, actually, it's the opposite that's true. They want me because I swear a lot. That's what's going on. <laughs> I, I think you just have to make sure whoever is going to be the sponsor or the advertisers, they have to align with the vision for the show. So hopefully you're never going to be encountering those contradictions. But I've got a show that I'm trying to get up and fight advertisers for. And one, one person that have approached us, we've just like, no, that, can't, that actually is counter to the ethos of the show. So sometimes you have to say no to the money. Not That's true. We've, yeah. had to, we've had to say no to some money. Yeah, yeah because you're just like, uh, and plus you have to think about your audience, right? Mm. Yeah. Will, will your audience actually like the sponsor? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a pill that worked like caffeine for your brain, and I was like, I don't think I would take that. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the people who I'm talking to probably won't appreciate this. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's some podcasts, like even people like Tim Ferriss and Jason Zook, where they're like, they'll only, they'll only have sponsors that are things that they actually use kind of thing. So that would be ideal. 
But they're, they're Tim Ferriss, so he's a big dude. Um, I want to ask two questions, which I know is really greedy because we Ooh. don't have much time, so I'm going to be super quick. The first one is kind of related to what we were just talking about, um, like the ick factor with advertising and also I think... I'm remembering a startup podcast where they did like this five minute ad for some car and I thought it was the show. And mm. then I got to the end of it and I was just like, oh, and I hated, and I hated that brand even more because of that. So I wonder if you've had any experience, like reading, reading the ads is really personal. And then the other thing I want to ask about is um, none of you have mentioned like Patreon or personal one-on-one -on -one subscriber sponsorship relationships. So I wonder what you think about those. I think with the eek factor, you always have to announce uh, that this is a sponsor, like mm. that this is, because people don't like to be tricked. No one likes to be tricked. I, at, at one point, didn't say this is uh, support for millennials provided by blah, blah, blah. And I just went into it and I immediately got feedback. And so I think it's just like listening to your audience and being able to be like, you're right, sorry, changed, you know, yeah. Do y'all guys have thoughts? Uh, look, I think crowdfunding is great, but usually you have to build a critical mass of audience either first or have, you know, links with the right people to do that. Uh, Ooh, the right people. Yeah, Ooh. and in fact, it's tricky. I mean, yeah, you just, you've got to be comfortable with that sponsor. That's up to you. Like, and you've got to know your show. There's plenty of shows that sell out completely and do it amazingly and nobody cares because that's what commercial radio does all the time. And lots of people listen to that. More people listen to that mm. than the ABC. Like, so there are people who will just do that. They'll go straight into an ad about nachos and then keep talking about the interview. There's a, I read a great um, article about this and it said, name your number. What is your number that you need to get for spon from sponsorship before you will actively make your podcast worse? So they were saying like, <laughs> if you put sponsorship on your podcast, it will make it worse. So have in your mind, I need this number. That's one approach. You don't have to do that. But like, I want this before I'm going to make it worse. So, so, you know, anyway, that was just one thing that I read. That's just one way of going about it. The other thing I would say is, so I use Patreon, and I, I launched a Patreon last year. And I've been really successful, mostly off a podcast that I do called Being Honest With My Ex, where I've been recording a personal journal with my ex-fiance for 18 months. It's a weird podcast. We have a small audience, but they're very dedicated and they're from random places and so I get like a thousand dollars a month just from that and that's meant that I've been able to keep making that show and that's you know it's just a different thing like you don't have to have a huge thing um to for it to keep going it just depends on what kind of connections you have with with what you're making and, and what connections people have with with what you're making yeah Okay. Before we get cut off, can I just say, get out there, pitch, don't undervalue yourself, look at who's making audio. You know, Acast is here, Audible is here, they want to make audio. Wooshka's all over the place making audio, all kinds of different things. You know, you should be pitching to the ABC, they always, there's new shows. Get out there, make some stuff, don't undervalue yourself. You could pitch to a magazine. You could pitch to places that have never thought about making a podcast. You will convince one of them to make the podcast you want to make. But you have to get to them, and that's up to you. What a rousing speech. <laughs> that was Honor Eastley, Miles Martignoni, Hannah Reish, and Megan Tan talking at the Audiocraft conference. This session was recorded on the day by ABC RN, and the podcast is produced by Beck Fari. Music by James Milsom. 
If you want to know more about the next episode, subscribe and also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au.